0: You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, B. Derek Harrowview. I hope you enjoy the show. All right now, won't you listen as we take on Master of Reality, the third studio album by Black Sabbath. It was produced by Roger Bain and released on July 21st, 1971 on Vertigo Records. It is widely regarded as the foundation of doom metal, stoner rock, and sludge metal. It peaked at number eight on the U.S. charts and has been certified double platinum. My guest today has been searching for her mind, but doesn't know where to start. An American stand-up comedian living in Brno, Czech Republic, Liz Donahue. Welcome to the show, Liz. How are you today?
1: I'm doing good, Derek. Thanks for having me.
0: I appreciate you uh, coming on. and We're talking through, I think uh, you had been talking to Jim, who was on season one. And he mentioned that you may be interested, so uh, I was you you looked over at the wish list and immediately came back with, "We're doing masters." So I was like, "Awesome. So <laughs> pretty excited about that. So tell me, how did this album enter your life?
1: Um, I'm gonna say it was probably when I was sixteen, uh, which would have been for me two thousand and four. Um, so I actually just talked to um, my best guy friend who lives in San Francisco. Um, the guy who actually introduced me to the album <laughs> and I told him I was like hey I'm doing a podcast on Master of Reality tonight he was like what the fuck <laughs> he, just, he was like I'm so jealous like what is your life <laughs> so it like kind of like came full circle which was cool but in high school I was kind of like a mom because my best guy friends were like all in a metal band called Die By Day uh, and I was kind of like their mom like feminine support <laughs> on the side And there were a lot of times where we were listening to like a lot of different maybe like heavy metal, I guess maybe you'd call it. But Sabbath in particular, for sure, in the van that I drove in high school, uh, which was a 91 Dodge Caravan that was like bright white with tinted windows. So it was the perfect thing for smoking weed in. You didn't tell me you were a serial
0: this. killer Oh,
1: I know, I know, I've been hiding it, that's why I'm here actually <laughs> Like I've been hiding it so well <laughs> and it's now coming out on the podcast So this was during the time where in my van I had like a tape deck And so I got the adapter um, to I believe play like the second generation iPod at the time um, So I was downloading a lot of music illegally at the time uh, which I, I think there's like a statute of limitations on that or something, but whatever, it was like 16 years ago. A lot of the tracks on this particular album, but for Sabbath also had like track one, like, or that, and that's what it would be called. So a lot of these songs, I actually didn't know the titles of for a long time because of how like the files were titled. And then later once like Spotify became a thing and YouTube became accessible, like it all kind of like came together a lot later for me to be to, like, Oh, this is, entire collection of stuff. So yeah, it was definitely 2004, um, like junior year of high school, like starting to kind of figure out like what music I'm actually about.
0: Yeah. So I think I met, cause I did a, a different Sabbath album in season one. I did Sabbath, bloody Sabbath and talked about how I had yeah. that on, on vinyl, I think through my stepmom or something. I just remember playing that one a lot, and then, but I didn't really get into Sabbath until a couple of years later. So that was in high school, so it would have been probably about 88 or so. Somewhere around junior year of college, Sabbath just all kind of came together for me. So I mean, I knew a lot of songs, and I knew mainly through uh, the Ozzy Osbourne versions of them, the live one. Uh, right. Speak of the devil, I think. So I knew a lot of the songs, but it wasn't until, like I said, maybe junior year of college that I just started... Getting everything I get my hands on from from Sabbath. So, uh, and I don't remember specifically with this one. It's got a couple of uh, just all time classics on it. So I'm sure. I think uh, Into yeah. the Void. Into the Void was what got me towards this one because somebody did a cover of this. Was that ten thousand okay. Homo DJs? Maybe did that. I don't remember. But somebody was like, I need to seek this out, and so then this just became one of my one of my favorites right here. So let's go ahead and get started with our track by track analysis, taking a look at side one, song one, sweet leaf. <coughs> So this one starts off with Tony Iommi, uh, however, not exactly in the way you're used to hearing him. So that's him coughing at the beginning, as far as I know, and then just goes into one of the all-time great riffs, one of the least subtle songs about marijuana, uh, <laughs> at least until uh, uh, until like you know uh, '90s hip hop, and then you know maybe they are a little bit more obvious at times. But yeah, so Ozzy Osbourne singing about his love for marijuana. Just this one is a, a classic for a reason. This is just great. This is such a terrific way to start off. The album, it's just a, a, it's a great song with a lot of great energy. I like the way he sings it. Uh, I know Ozzy's voice can be I, I don't know. I don't want to say divisive. I don't think I don't think a lot of people hate Ozzy's voice necessarily. It's not like dealing with, you know, Getty Lee or something, but uh, right. <laughs> just uh, I think because this is their third album. So I think he's really on top of his game here. So mm-hmm. he's figured out how to do, you know, because it's a fairly limited instrument. He's figured out how to use it and he hasn't destroyed it yet with uh, with too much drug use at this point. So uh, just a
1: fantastic way right. to start off the record.
0: <laughs> what do you what do you think about this one? Liz?
1: Like with the cough, it kind of encapsulates like the whole thing because there's the inhale at the end of the song. So it's like like oh, it sense, like if you played it on repeat, you know. Um, but like, it's so funny that you mentioned like that about having it be like such a like staple of like marijuana, like heavy metal culture, because like, I didn't even, I was such a stoner at the time. I didn't even realize that, <laughs> that I thought the Sweetleaf thing was about blow specifically <laughs> and mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Cause I was like third album. Yeah. Like suitcases and speaker tracks, like full of cocaine, like this totally makes sense. So I didn't like really track on the stoner thing uh, at first, but then like, it's just so obvious. Like I completely missed it somehow because that's just how I was when I was 16. So (laughs) It's such a staple in regards to how it is as like sludge metal. You can kind of hear that like after the cough, like where it gets started. And from there, it's just kind of like it gets right into it. Like it doesn't waste any time. There's no long intro or anything starts right like that. So
0: yeah, that's a good point because they is I I love Sabbath. I love these first six records are just they're just great, but they do at times yeah. get a little noodly, which I I realized when I covered Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. How often they just <laughs> and I know it's it's part of the era, you know, it's kind of what was expected, but sometimes it's like oh let's let's cut out about a third of this middle part here. <laughs> that's yeah. <a> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this one is, is just, it's immediate and, and that's nice. And I find Mm -hmm. that there's not nearly as much of the extra, extra stuff going on on this album.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like very essential. Like it, it kind of cuts out everything, all the fat. Yeah.
0: So let's move on to track two after forever. What do you think about this one?
1: After Forever, it's so funny because the start of that song perfectly describes how 1971 was terms of music as, as in general. Because you can't really tell where it's going. Like, is this heavy metal? You know, like where where what is this getting into, you know? And at the time in 1971, you had like Zeppelin releasing records, you had Alice Cooper releasing I'm 18. That was like the big like thing in addition to Sabbath. But then you had like kind of some meh, like okay stuff. You had like T Rex, Eric Burden, The Doors, The Stones. And then you had just, and pardon my language, just the pussiest shit coming out in 1971 of like The Carpenters and like Donnie Ember and, and Tony Orlando and Don, you know, Barbara Streisand, you know, and like all this stuff. So this was like that pivotal point of like making what heavy metal is, is with After Forever. Cause like, and it's, And it's not just that, but like it's pondering all these ideas that you don't typically hear about in 1971, you know, because otherwise it's just we got to bring everybody back from Vietnam. And then Ozzy's here like, "Uh, is God just a thought within your head or is he a part of you? And you're like, oh, man, I don't know. (laughs) Like, It creates this like an opportunity to kind of like question things, which is very like kind of anti-authority in in the Black Sabbath way. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably like. Average, You can't like after sweet leaf and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's got that synthy kind of intro to it. So they, you know, they obviously didn't have a full-time synth player, but they weren't afraid to, to sweeten the sound here and there. It wasn't something that they were reliant on, but you can hear it here just at that beginning. And it kind of, it washes over everything. And then they come up with, and I don't know if you, cause you were breaking up just a little bit on me. So I don't know if you use this, but, but the opening riff, Is almost a little bit sunny. You know, it's still it's still heavy, it's still Sabbath, but there's a certain quality to it that you're like, okay, I'm I'm curious about this because it still sounds like them while still being and I don't because it doesn't sound polished, it doesn't sound that. It's just got this lightness to it that's interesting. And then cause and this the the lyrics about this song are all cause Geezer Butler mainly wrote the lyrics. And Mm -hmm. he was He's a Christian guy, and he was really upset that everybody misunderstood all of the lyrics from the first two records, and they right. took them to be satanic and all these other things. When he considers himself to be a good Christian boy, and that's what the song is about. Like, are, are you? Who are you, and why are you not paying attention? And <laughs> so, this may be the only Christian heavy metal song worth listening to. Apologies to fans of Striper, but I, I'm going to stand by that statement. Along with that, and then it, the, the riff toughens up a little bit uh, later on, but it keeps going back to that opening one, which is, you know, it's just sunny and peppy almost while still still somehow being exactly Black Sabbath. Uh, yeah. And there's some fantastic bass work. Now, when you're in a band with a personality like Ozzy Osbourne and just the pioneering guitar work of Tony Iommi, that the rhythm section kind of got overlooked a little bit. And... Undeservedly so, because his um, Geezer Butler does some fantastic bass work on this record, and it's not yeah, the bass is does. often often a, an instrument you kind of don't notice unless it's not there. They just did a podcast on uh, a Motley Crue record, and you know, Nikki six is that. a bass player who was definitely in the studio playing a bass at some point. I'm sure of it, but uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, whereas Geezer's is doing some some <laughs> really cool stuff. Well, not being too flashy, it's not like, you know, Billy Sheehan showing how fast his fingers can move. I think it still works in service of the song. And the fact that they only had the one guitar player, he does a lot with the rhythm to help allow Tony Iommi to do the things that he is doing with the guitar. And I think you can really hear it on this song. And if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics, you may not even realize that. This is basically a, a Christian song uh, talking about his own Christian values. But it's still, I think, a, a really good song. And following up Sweet Leaf, this is a, a great way to go.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. It's, uh, it's a good number two spot.
0: So going on to track, we're going to go ahead and do track three and track four together. I know you have something to say about Embryo, so I'll let you, uh, I'll let you work on that as well. So, <laughs> uh, so Embryo... is 28 seconds long and to me it's just it sounds a little clunky like it's not that the guitar work is bad but it just it almost feels like somebody who's just learning how to play that song in because it's a little bit stiff and then gives way so uh, let me just hear what do you have about embryo
1: it's like you're at a renaissance fair (laughs) (laughs) and it's just you can't get a read on it like is it Because it's instrumental as well, you know, and it's just it's it's very like like you said, it's clunky, and it takes you to that one place specific. And for me, it's a Renaissance Fair or or like Braveheart or something, you know, and (laughs) and it's so out of place. But at the same time, it's very quintessential Black Sabbath of like "Ah, let's just let's just squeeze that in there, you know, 28 (laughs) seconds, you know, third track, like coming in hot you know (laughs) and it's it's like and i was never um like i was never upset with it when it came on i was like oh yeah this is embryo it's just to me it's just funny like i i can't take it seriously half the time i'm listening to it and then the other half the time i'm very aware that it's embryo
0: Yeah, yeah, Ren Fair is is exactly spot on. That's, uh, I have nothing more to say just because I I can't come up with anything better than that. So let's go on to uh, track four Children of the Grave.
1: you think about this one children of the grave is great and i think this was the first song i heard off of this album i'm assuming that's the same for a lot of people though and it was just this like this that opening of it is so ominous and it's like you're riding into the battle after the renaissance fair (laughs) like that's (laughs) like you're departing like you had your moment and like now okay now things are going like it's still maybe not in my maybe but like on this album like it's the key component for sure like it's bringing the rest of it all together in this spot for sure and it was just and also like the lyrics too like came in like with the start like revolution in their minds to their children start to march uh against the world in which they have to live and all the hate that's in their hearts which is so just the complete opposite of another brick in the wall <laughs> like it's <just> like <laughs> completely <laughs> of the other side of the story even though Floyd was doing stuff at the same time so it got dark but at the same time it's it's almost like this mythical like folklore thing that they have in a lot of their stuff which is also semi-religious yeah for me it was like it all came together like the bass came together the drums came together Ozzy sounded good and then I think the last part of it honestly was just the creepiest part like the because you can hear the, in, the, the instrumental kind of waning at the end and it's like super distorted and creepy and you can hear iomi with like a whammy bar and then bending the saddle to like draw it out into like yes this is the grave (laughs) this is this is where this is and i think i think it's a fantastic track like i i'll always remember it as the first song i listened to on the album
0: this may be my favorite song on this album and it is one of my all-time favorites from sabbath and I have to ask, how much does White Zombie owe their entire sound to just this song?
1: The entire discography of White Zombie. <laughs> <Tommy. laughs> okay. That's the title of their discography, actually, it's just Children of the Grave.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, And just like you said, I love the drums on this one. So just because it's got that off-kilter drumming where he's going at the toms, but he's not kind of doing them in order. Mm-hmm. It's more like this kind of syncopated thing with the toms. That is, uh, it's offsetting in all the right ways, and yeah, just the riff on this one because just the way this one starts, like, why the fuck do you need embryo when you have a song that starts off this fucking good? Uh, it, throw that shit somewhere else, my friend, because Children of the Grave doesn't need you. This is so it just this is just a badass song. Just the and yeah. just the groove to it, and. You know, they were always seen as kind of like the dark side of that sixties thing, you know. So they mm-hmm. while they were still singing about some of the same issues, they weren't coming at, you know, smile on your brother now. <laughs> you know, it was more yeah. like you need to stand up and fight for yourself and uh Yeah,
1: there's no shit on this album.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think just such a fantastic way to finish side one. You could have put this song anywhere and it would have been great. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So this is, this is just one of my all, all one of my all time favorites. Cause I think this is just everything that black Sabbath does well is in this song. So, I mean, it's just got that memorable riff and it's got those great rhythms and it's got terrific bass work. And uh, yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy's just working his way around the melody with those, really just kind of creepy lyrics and just, yeah, I I, I love the song.
1: Yeah. Like it's crunchy without being sloppy. I feel like, like it has all the elements in there and it's like well-constructed, but it still has that kind of like raw attitude. A lot of the songs have that like those two things came together. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And this one just makes you want to go. I mean, even, you know, the lyrics beside, but just like the music itself, if you're in a car, you're getting a speeding ticket. That's just, Sorry, sorry about your luck. You know, that's just the way it works. <laughs> no.
1: Sorry, I had Sabbath on side one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of side one of Master of Reality by Black Sabbath on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Liz Donahue. Now, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the show, you are a stand-up comedian and you are living in Brno, originally from the States. I know you, you've bopped around a bit. So you did stand-up in, in the States before you moved here, correct?
1: I did. Um, I started initially in Minneapolis uh, when I lived there. Um, I lived in Minnesota for about five years and then uh, moved back to Seattle, which is where I'm originally from, uh, and then continued it there before I moved here. So I've kind of been all over the place with it. Yeah, I think uh, both Seattle and Minneapolis served me well. They're both really good scenes for stand-up. There's a lot of strong influence, and there's a stage time to be completely spoiled with like in both locations. So it's a really, it's a, both places are really good places to start.
0: And what was the driving force to get you on stage that first time?
1: I majored in creative writing uh, when I was in school and a lot of the feedback I was getting from some of the classes I was taking in regards to my writing were asking me like, you know, are you going to do anything with this? Like, are you going to do stand up because it needs to be like, somewhere, that this isn't just like a paper that you would turn in, you know, offhandedly one week. And so I, that, that kind of implanted it into my brain. But then it maybe took about two years before I actually got on stage at an open mic and realized like, oh, OK, I can actually do this. This is something I can I really want to do.
0: And that first open mic, did you have a did you have beginner's luck? Did you have that one great night to start with?
1: <laughs> my mom was there. It was so nice. <laughs> Um, she came in uh, for Thanksgiving to visit me. And I think there was a good open mic night at um, the main comedy club in Minneapolis called Acme Comedy Company. And they have like, probably like the best open mic, like, maybe in the Midwest, like that's just my personal opinion. But like, you know, a lot of people will drop in there from time to time, like Swartzen will be there on occasion. Like if there's another comic doing a theater show, they'll stop in as well. And when you're there for the first time, you get to, like, star your name on the list, like, and officially get on. Um, I did okay. That Prior to that, I had done, like, a stand-up slash improv class over the summer. And it wasn't a lot of people that were interested in doing comedy. Like, it was mostly just people that were trying to get more comfortable with public speaking. So there were, like, attorneys and speech and debate students. But I think out of maybe 12 people, I think only two of us actually went on to like keep doing stand up and like had the intention of continuing after the class was over.
0: Cause we, uh, we've run a an open mic here for, I think, seven, seven, eight years. And you'll have mm-hmm. I've just seen enough people where they, they get the, they screw the courage up and they go up and they have kind of like that magical night where, <laughs> you know, maybe they don't get a ton of laughs, but they just, they, you know they came to say they said what they wanted to say, they got it out and they got some laughs, and they were comfortable there. And then they kind of think, oh okay, that was easy. And then they come back for for the second time, and it's a it's a disaster, almost without yeah. fail, because they don't have that same adrenaline rush. They don't necessarily have the same sympathy um, for the, mm-hmm. you know, from the crowd, you know this kind of thing. And I'm always curious. And obviously, there's plenty of people who are somewhere in the middle. It's not like a, it's not like you're a star, you crash and burn. But right, uh, <laughs> And I felt with my first open mic that I I, I did okay. I, I did better than I thought I was going to do, and and I could have done much 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 worse than I did. So uh, I was curious if you had that, just uh, you know. But of course, some of those people who have that great one, and then they crash and burn. Sometimes they come back a bunch of times chasing that first, you know, feeling and other people like we never mm-hmm. see them again kind of thing. So it depends on where you go. So I was curious about that first time on stage and, and how it was for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I, I definitely got back up on stage that same week. Like it was something that I wanted to get actually like a, like a set that I could work with and like have people want to be able to work with me because of that. And I don't really think I still have any jokes from that same set that I still do, unless I'm trying to run out the clock in a situation <laughs> <laughs> where I'm like, "All right, we're going to go back to year one," so like nine years ago. And uh, I haven't. Luckily, I haven't had to do that. Um, I think I've only maybe had to do that twice. But it was it was a good experience. You know, stand up is just you know so fucking weird. You know, but and I think having it be something that is still accessible in Europe for sure I think makes it easier to like want to continue but also I think like you know depending on where you are there's less accessible stage time you know, there's more traveling involved you know so and I don't need to tell you that like you're well aware <laughs> so um yeah it's interesting being over here and doing it and it's um I'm hoping to at least see if I can continue some of it in the future at some point whenever I don't know this whole virus thing decides to you know get the
0: light whenever that that might be so yeah yeah definitely missing the stage looking looking forward to finding a way to make that happen again and uh, looking forward to having you uh, over this way now we're going to hear from one of our friends hi everyone matthew and kyle here from audio judo you ever wonder why certain songs get stuck in your head and you can't get them out there's an answer it's science Were you ever curious about why Pink Floyd broke up? Or maybe you're interested in finding new music or bands? Then we're we're the podcast podcast for you. Audio Judo, podcast of music discovery. www.audiojudo.com Or wherever podcasts are podcast. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're going to flip this record over. Side two, track five, Orchid. Orchid. So we have another instrumental, which I think is a bit of an unusual choice to lead off side two, and it's not a, a super short one. It's not like "Embryo" where it's you know thirty seconds long. It's a minute and a <laughs> half, so they don't go crazy with it, but it's really pretty. And this is a, uh-huh. a, a similar thing. And I and I just lost the song that they did because there was another time they did this where it's like legitimately a pretty song, and they don't try to toughen it up. They don't try, to, and they don't even try to really smooth this one into the next track so this doesn't act like an extended intro it just yeah. it's it really stands on its own while while being mm-hmm. very pretty i don't have too much more to say about it than that uh, you know i think an an odd choice but still a, a very a very pretty choice what do you think about it
1: it's just so funny to me because for me i haven't had the experience of listening to it like on a tape or on a record so for me it goes straight from children of the grave like, right into Orchid. And for me, that was always just this weird comedown. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything is pretty, but it's so sad. <laughs> and it was, like, I don't know what, what sobering up on on Blow is like, but I imagine it's done to that song. <laughs> like, that's the, where are like, Children of the grave gets over, and you're like, oh, what happened? And then, like, Orchid's in the background. You know, it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. Um, yeah, I don't think like, it's just very unusual because it's sandwiched between these two songs. And kind of like I said earlier, like I have I only have the experience of listening to it in succession. So, like, you know, in its entirety. So it kind of like comes right up against Children of the Grave and then Lord of the World, like, And it's like, well, what's it what's it doing in there? You know, like, is it a bonus track? Like, where was this supposed to go? You know, but again, it's not a bad track. It's just it's very it's just very unusual. Uh, especially with the placement for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In the context of vinyl, I think it it works, but you know, I've had this on C D or I don't think I I don't think I had this one on cassette, but I probably had it on C D and, and of course this whole week I've been listening to it on, on Spotify. So mm-hmm. I, I have it on vinyl. I could I could pull it out. I just have two small children and I have two cats. So sometimes I gotta pick my moments to play my vinyl, you yeah. know? Uh, <laughs> right. and and so I I've really been listening to it all the way through and it is a, a little bit of this a little bit of a whiplash because you're one place, one place, one place. And it's like, okay. And then again, in the context of standing up and flipping it over and then kind of re- it's like a, ref- uh, like a, a palate cleanser almost, but yeah, in the, in the context yeah. of just being straight through it is, it is weird.
1: Yeah. A palate cleanser is a good way to put it, like going back into it. Like we have this like kind of intermission a little bit, like with the, with the track flip or the the flip in the middle. Yeah.
0: So let's move on to track six, Lord of This World. What do you think about this one?
1: I think this might be my favorite track on the album. And I think it's, because, well, I mean, I think for a couple of things, but you can really hear Ozzy on this track. Like, it's not, he's not over encumbered with like the drums and the bass and everything else happening at the same time. Like for me, his vocal, I don't, I don't know if it was like a recording thing or a producing thing, but like, I feel like his vocals on this track are so much more isolated where they really want that to come out more than maybe the music but also I feel uh, like when I ever I think of like sludgy metal this is what I think of because in high school there was just this genre of heavy metal and that was that included like kiss and spinal tap and like whatever you know whatever else was was there at the time but that classic like the beginning going into it really is what I picture when someone mess- when someone, mentions like doom metal or like sludge metal or stoner rock or something like that. It's that particular riff at the start of that song that I think of. It had like, I mean, I don't really know what to call it. There's like this kind of classic formula for, um, for Black Sabbath lyrics, where it's, it's very similar throughout, I would say most of their songs, where the rhyme scheme is very similar. Um, like you can hear it in Paranoid for sure. Um, that's probably the one people would be most familiar with, I guess, at that point, just in terms of what people know. Um, but the one that, like, struck me the most, I think, was you made me master of the world where you exist. The soul I took from you was not even missed. And it was like, oh, sharp, like, ah, <laughs> <honestly>, ouch. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, it, and it was just so, um, I don't know what it is about it necessarily that I like so much but I think it's like the perfect length like most of these songs on the album were like five-ish minutes like just over five minutes and it was just enough where it got everything out it it was it didn't get boring it didn't do that like all right well now we're gonna break for like a five minute you know like you know some like some Neil Young solo that takes like 19 minutes to get through <laughs> or something <laughs> like that you know and it's like we have kids we have to get home like and it's not um it's not like that. Like, it's like I'm entertained all the way through it. Like, it keeps my attention, I think, is also what it is, is what I like about it. Um, but yeah, I think Lord of this World, I think, is probably my favorite track on the album for sure.
0: And I can see why. I really like the song and just listening to it this last week, how much stoner metal I hear in this. So obviously, Sweet yeah. Leaf has, <laughs> has the, uh, the <laughs> lyrics for it, but this has the sound. Because it has just that groove to it, and mm-hmm. this is one of like something from Caius or one of those bands that are just out in the middle of the desert playing. And I would say what, this
1: sounds like when the circus left town. Like that yeah. has that that vibe in it. Yeah,
0: it has this real groove, but not like with um, uh, not like with Children of the Grave, where it's that real up and down <laughs> pounding kind of thing. This is a little more subtle. And you're right, because one of the things that I, I found that I had a problem with. With Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, as much as I love that record, that there is just a little, there was a little too much noodling that I didn't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Because side, because side one of that album is just impeccable, and side two yeah. gets a little. Uh, whereas I think this album is much more to the point. Uh, you know, five minutes is is probably long for a pop song, but it's not long for a heavy metal song, and they're not sure. fucking around. And with Lord of the Three minutes
1: and twenty seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and this is probably the only one I, I really noticed that has an extended instrumental break to it, but mm-hmm. it, it fits. It doesn't feel tacked on. It doesn't feel like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> Ozzy goes, needs to take a piss right now. So we're going to do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, this just it fits in there. And I love at the very beginning of the instrumental break, there's this bass part to it where he's just playing super fast. And mm-hmm. what always comes to mind is, you know, like when cartoon characters start to run, they don't actually go anywhere for that first couple seconds.
1: They run in place for a second. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's what that part, that base part reminds me of because it's going so fast, but he is just keeping everything together. So he's not going mm-hmm. anywhere. He's setting that, that concrete slab down for you all while just playing his fucking fingers off. And it, it kind of makes me giggle sometimes because I get this very, you know, Scooby-Doo running in place image every <laughs> right. once in a while when I hear the song, which doesn't necessarily fit. But we'll go with the Scooby snacks and then we're back on brand. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a great song. I said I, I probably prefer Children of the Grave, but this is this is a close second because this is just this is a fantastic song.
1: I think it's I think it's great when I think even though I heard Children of the Grave first, I think this was the one that I ultimately kind of gravitated towards in the end. For some, yeah. I, I'm still not sure what that is. I mean, like the pace is different in both songs. Like, you know, you said, like when you're driving with Children of the Grave, like it's kind of hard to like not like, you know, pedal to the metal kind of thing. But this was just cerebral and like less active, I feel like. And it's like it's a little more like a little more heady, I guess, kind of. Mm -hmm. It's good. I like it a lot.
0: On to track seven, Solitude. This is another trick that Black Sabbath seems to be able to pull off where they have these slower songs that come across more as creepy. And obviously they could do straight up ballads. You know, Changes is a, is a, is a fantastic song. But this reminds me more of like Planet Caravan without the, the yeah. creepy, creepy vocal effect isn't there. So I, I'm pretty sure this is still Ozzy singing. Uh, and he does, his voice is a little bit different. I, I wanted to double check and I forgot to see if he actually is singing on this track because he's singing in a slightly different register than you're used to hearing him, uh, for at least and it's for the black Sabbath.
1: Like it's, it's, it's hard to tell just at normal volume with like, with nothing changed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, is this geezer Butler? Is, is somebody playing a trick on me right now? I don't know what's happening, but it's uh. and even, and it's, <laughs> you're writing notes and I'm like the flute but somehow still works, you know? Uh, I, and I think that somehow that doesn't sound dungeons and Dragonsy. It doesn't sound like Jethro Tull. It, it's still a part of what they okay. do. And I think I can't remember because I think uh, I only plays the flute. So I don't know if this is him on the track. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And again, I, Sometimes I'll go look everything up and other times I'm just like, I just want to talk about this one. I don't want to do too much deep digging on it. It's their third record. Let's fucking go. And I like how it's, it describes solitude and I don't think it ever says the word solitude. And I think that's pretty cool in its own way. And yeah. I, really, I really like this one. And this, I, I like Planet Caravan as well. And it's mm-hmm. one of those, it's, it slows down while rank, you know, ratcheting up the creep factor. It, but it's also just, it's just about being alone and, and what that can do to you. What do you think about this one?
1: It's definitely not one of my favorite songs on the album. And I think that's for a couple of reasons is that the pace the pace is slow and it like it it really drags it out like to the but it also kind of illustrates the solitude point like like you said it's like I don't think the song actually does mention it but in that kind of mood and that the aesthetic like slowly in this song uh, which is kind of like perfectly solitude, I guess. I think my just my big bone to pick with it is that coming out of even something that was relatively slower like Lord of this World, Solitude's much slower for me. Like my it, can, it doesn't keep my attention. I can't hear it as well, or like what exactly is being like sung like throughout the song. Like in the end. It's, it's very mediocre for me. And like you said too, like it's it's similar to Planet Caravan, but also Planet Caravan takes can retain my attention much better. It kind of fell flat, I think. Like if if I was in the car and you gave me the oxcord, I would skip this song. <laughs> <laughs> like if I wanted to introduce you to like essential Sabbath or like, and you had this album, for instance, this isn't the song that I would play. Like, cause it's very, it's almost distracting how different it is, but it's also the seventh out of the eighth track on the album. So like, what do you have to lose like, at this point? Like, you know, so there's not much time left. And um, yeah, I think it's just very, it creates a lonely place, but in terms of like a, like a song overall, like it just kind of, It doesn't do it for me, really.
0: I can see. I I still like this one, and I like where it's placed, because the only other place you could really put this song uh, is, let's say, at track four. So if it was the last song on side one, it could (laughs) almost work. Uh, Or you you have to bury it here at track seven. If you try to put this song anywhere else, I think it falls completely flat. Uh, I think because of the pace, it could have stood to be about a minute shorter. This, I think, would be better at about a four-minute song. That said I, I like the placement of it and uh, I still like the song even though if I'm making if I'm making a mix for somebody, this song's never gonna make it. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Sabbath right. mixes it's not gonna be on there. So if I'm gonna go for the slow moody piece, yeah, I'm gonna go with Planet Caravan just because the the vocal effect is really cool and it's uh, it's a great yeah. song, so
1: and for me, I think the trouble was, too, is I couldn't, I can't identify it. Like, is it a power ballad? Is it like this, like, low, like, kind of sad song? Like, a bit, that was difficult. So I was taking some notes as I was listening to the album the other day. And I was like, I don't know how to tell someone about this song. <laughs> like, it's very melancholy. Like, it's slow. It's like the poorest example possible. But I was like, this is like Black Sabbath version of whining that they didn't get into art school. Yeah, <laughs> like, this, this is that for them this is like I'm so sad you know because there's very much the tone in that song that's very lonely and, and they do that well but at the same time it's not 100% interesting to me <laughs> so
0: yeah fair enough so let's bring it up to uh, bring it up to a close track 8 Into the Void
1: Rocket burning blue, so- Think Into the Void ends the album in such a good way that this is one of the songs, I think it's the longest track on the album, yeah, at like six, six something minutes. Um, but during that time, there's so much happening, like in that song, where I'm totally on board for whatever's happening. (laughs) And the part where I just get really excited about it is where the speed picks up at about like three minutes in. And that's where I start to get really excited about it because it's so versatile in terms of a song. And they do this a couple of times where, you know, a couple of minutes in things speed up and then they kind of go back back to like the kind of the the sludgy numbers. But this was like where it really picked up for me and kind of sells it to me as a song. I actually pulled up the lyrics, I think yesterday or the day before, but I loved how they were talking about so many issues like pollution. <laughs> like back back in nineteen seventy one, which was like probably not the big concern at the time because there was like, I don't know, that war, I guess, or something. Totally. Um, but <laughs> could be, yeah. <laughs> um, and I just kind of loved how they like brought all of that into that. And the whole like the freedom finders sent out to the sun, it's like like that that's what hooked me was like Ozzy's vocals on that alone, plus kind of this acceleration and speed like in the middle of the song was like really awesome Um, and it's ominous as fuck like (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, and but at the same time it's very like textbook Sabbath of like yeah this makes sense like it's nothing too outrageous but it's also semi maybe controversial in terms of the whole scheme of 1971 that was very much not (laughs) talking about this at that particular moment. Yeah, I think it's a great ending track. Like it didn't need to go any further. Like it ended at the perfect time. Um and uh yeah, I think maybe well it's kinda hard to say, I guess. But it's one of the my more favored tracks on this album, I think. And it's not usually the last song on an album for me that does that. But this one like really like closed it, like kept it tight, like you know, made it like complete kind of. So yeah, that's what I like about it. It's cool.
0: Yeah. This definitely closes the book on this record in spectacular fashion. I mean, this is just a a monster song. The only note I have in here is fuck yes. That's the only thing I wrote down when listening to the song. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just, just the, the riff on this is great. The, The singing on this is great. And even if you're not again, paying attention to the lyrics and uh, I think you still get that that feeling just into the void. What you know? What more do you need to know? And and this is a song that I've heard covered a couple of times. And I have a feeling I actually heard a cover of this first. So I think because and Caius actually covered the song. I think right before they broke up for something. And I want to say Soundgarden has covered it, and somebody else, at least three or four, and they're all good. They, they didn't they didn't try to fuck with it too much. So I just. Uh, just so much to like about this song. And this one, even though it's long, I think it's because it, it takes you on a couple of it takes you on a little bit of a journey, and, and it has a couple of different, like you said, um, a couple of different speeds to it, uh, mm-hmm. which we see on um, uh, "After Forever." I think is another one that did that quite well. Yeah, um, where it has that opening riff, and then it has that middle crunch, and then goes back to that opening riff, and and this does something very similar except it doesn't have that sunshiny feel um, like, like the other one did. And this is just, it's, it's dark. It's the void. Yeah. <laughs> so just a, a great way to, to take, a, take us out of this album. Again, it's, it's eight tracks. Uh, one of those tracks is 30 seconds long, and another one is a, a minute and a half. So uh, this one did not overstay its welcome at, at any point, and that six minutes feels justified here. And
1: yeah, I think so too. Like this would have this was the time to use that extra length for the tracks. So yeah, for sure.
0: So Liz, what are your final thoughts about this record?
1: I think it's for a third record, it's really solid. Um and I'll just preface to say, like, I think most of the Sabbath I've listened to, I think like you said, are those first five to six albums. That's where like the prime like the primary influence for Sabbath came for me at least like there was no Dio stuff that doesn't that doesn't even exist for me like it's just it's a completely other chapter that like I'll, I'm assuming like I've been exposed to it at some point but I can't pick anything that's like essential classic from there but this one for sure I feel like was such a good staple and in my mind I'm thinking as it as like three out of five albums I think you had volume four People have their thoughts about Volume 4. I thought it kind of fell short a little bit, except for maybe like Super Knot <laughs> and a couple others. And then you had Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, which in for me, that's my favorite Sabbath record. Paranoid had all the classics on it, but then Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, like... I think they called it like the risk that saved Black Sabbath because people started to be like, okay, but what else do you have? (laughs) Like, what exactly are you bringing to the table now that you've done this four times? (laughs) Um, But I think this is it's enjoyable for me. Like it's kind of it has the nostalgia factor that I don't think the other Sabbath, Sabbath albums have for me. It's like the perfect length, like it's like 38 minutes, I think, total, something like that. And it's, it's one of those albums that I wish that I could hear again for the first time now at like 32 years old, like wanting to be like, how would I interpret this today? Like, how would I have this influence my life like today? Like if this was me encountering it for the first time. And honestly, it just brings up good memories of just smoking weed in a van. So <laughs> <laughs> no complaints. Yeah.
0: <laughs> smoking weed, serial killing. It was good times. Good times.
1: <laughs> good stuff. As
0: you do. <laughs> this is a, a solid record as, as, as it gets. Uh, I, I Of course, it's on the show. I fucking love this record. And I find a lot of times uh, your the third albums can be just fantastic. Like you look at Tom Petty's Damn the Torpedoes and uh, I want to say, who was it? Um, um, I think what, Caius's third record was um, uh, Welcome to Sky Valley or, you know, that may have been his fourth. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There's a, a lot of times where it's, you, you know what you're doing in the studio. you still have some ideas, uh, you have some seasoning under your belt, and then you go on and, and you just write out these great songs. Now obviously, that second record is just chuck full of classics. Like if you were just to get, if you're like if you need to if, you, if somebody wants like a, a Black Sabbath's greatest hits and you're too lazy to actually make one, you just give them paranoid and, and you're fine, you know?
1: And you're, uh, yeah, you got it covered.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cause they'll recognize at least two or three of the tracks and then it just, it's, it's a. but I think just coming out of an album that's such a world beater like that, cause you know, the first one, they really established their sound and, and I like that first record a lot, but it's, it is, yeah, it's a first record, you know? And, and the second one is just, it, it all came to place. And then this one still manages to, do something new with the format and mm-hmm. that's what makes this so great. And, you know, if you just, if, even if you're just cherry picking on this one and if you go with children of the grave, uh sweet leaf and into the void, you know, it's like, cause I think Lord of this world, which you said is your favorite track on here. And I love that song. Um, mm-hmm. That's one, that's more for the aficionados. I think that, you know, if you yeah. were just to, just to cherry pick those three songs, you're like, this is a band who knew what the fuck it was doing. Uh, yeah. And then you throw in "Lord of This World" and you throw in "After Forever," uh, and it's like, oh, this yeah is just it's a stone cold classic, and I think is one that's a, a little bit overlooked in their catalog, uh, at least with those mm-hmm. first you know those first six. So really happy to have uh, covered this one, and uh, and just it had been a while since I'd listened to it, and just nice to remember how fucking good it really is.
1: Yeah. So. And it's hard to come off of paranoid, you know, like you kind of have to plateau a little bit, but it's still really good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think what's impressive about it is you figure after this commercial, and I don't know if it was, I don't know if they were ever, you know, the critics never really liked Black Sabbath, but after this real commercial success,
1: it Mm -hmm. probably would
0: have been real easy to find a way to commercialize the sound a little bit, tweak it a little bit. And instead of coming out with a heavy, just in your face record like this one, I think they, they could have really dumbed it down. They could have sweetened it up and Mm -hmm. sold a million billion records, you know? Uh, And that they didn't do that, I think says a lot about what their vision for this band was. And they decided to keep that as opposed to chasing, chasing dollars, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. They remained authentic, like all the way through, like the sound didn't really change a lot. Like it still like maintained, you know, kind of the, I don't know what to call it um like the progression like of of the band and where it was going without it getting stale or like annoying or you know like oh this is the but it's still just create um in a good record so
0: so i would like to encourage all of my listeners number one to listen to this record if you haven't done so already but also if you would like to you know subscribe to the show that'd be great tell your friends about the show hey that'd be cool want to write a review say nice things about me say nice things about liz that would be fantastic as well. I'd appreciate that. Once again, I really appreciate you coming on the show, talking about this record. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.
1: Yeah, Thanks for having me, Derek.